So when we think about positioning, we need to understand, well, what are the alternatives to commodity-based positioning? Well, there's either utility, how do we price or position our service based on the intrinsic value that service represents? Or on the other side, luxury, that we may have intrinsic value, but above and beyond that intrinsic value, how do we ensure people have a sense of belonging or connection to something much deeper than the pure intrinsic value itself? Small Business Talk is a podcast for business owners and entrepreneurs who want a better way to run their businesses without spending years doing it the hard way. Small Business Talk is hosted by Kathy Smith, who has run the same marketing agency for more than 17 years and helped hundreds of business owners achieve their marketing goals. Welcome to Small Business Talk. Today, my special guest is Jackson Milan from Aureus Financial. Welcome, Jackson. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to having a chat. So we thought we might talk about future-proofing your business. Now, we did start that in the 200th episode, and unfortunately, Jackson wasn't able to join us. So we thought we might have a bit of a longer episode this time on how to future-proof your business. What would you suggest we start with, Jackson? Let's kind of do a little bit of a lay the land Kathy, because I feel that the market out there when it comes to business has definitely changed. It's uh, it's very much unprecedented for, for most of us um, who've been in business. Um, I guess really the only really comparable period of time was the late 70s to early 80s. Uh, and I was born in 89, so I can only talk from <laughs> other people's experience because I didn't experience it myself. But as a finance guy, um, it's my job to understand the past um, because as Winston Churchill famously said, if you fail to learn from history, you are bound to repeat it. And the times that we're in right now, Kathy, is I feel that the, the economic tides are turning and the barrier of entry and the cost of doing business is increasing. And what that means is that through a very long amount of time, basically since the global financial crisis, so essentially the last 15 years, businesses have pretty much got away scot-free. And they have been able to uh, kind of just work casually through their business. The risks have been relatively low. Uh, Sentiment has been high. They've been free-flowing capital. It's basically the gold rush of business. And unfortunately, that is no longer. The gold rush is done. And uh, people are handing back their shovels and picks in droves. So this is really where, uh, to put it bluntly, Businesses need to transition from kind of boys to men, so to speak. And uh, we need to understand how do we navigate the uncertain times and future-proof our business. And how we do that is by creating a financial moat around our business. And we need to stop abdicating financial responsibility and start getting into that driver's seat. So I'm hoping to unpack that today and, and share some great value. That sounds great. And yes, it's been a, an up and down cycle for business, hasn't it? It used to be very difficult to get into business, very expensive. You had to have lots of degrees. Then the internet came along and it made it, like you say, gold rush time, really easy for anybody anywhere that was connected to the internet to create that business and really get involved. And as you say, times are changing, particularly with finances and cyber and all the issues we have today. So I love the idea of a moat for the boys to men, the, the girls to women, and whatever gender you um, identify as. So, yeah, definitely making us grow up, shall we say. So how do we start by looking at that moat? Yeah, so the first thing we need to look at here is that 
I've developed a framework that I call the profit pyramid. And at its core, I believe all businesses, in order to presuppose profit, for profit to not just be a casual byproduct that just happens to to, to come past um, if and when, we need three things. The first thing we need is we need profitable positioning. And we need to be able to position ourselves in a marketplace where there is an asymmetrical risk versus return in the minds of your clients and customers. Because what we've got to understand here, Kathy, is that in a capitalist system, which is what we're in, whether you agree with it or not, um, a consumer in this market will pay anywhere up to the value that they believe they are receiving. And the issue is for the vast majority of service-based businesses, their value proposition or their position in the marketplace relies on a leap of faith. It is just like, okay, I pull a number out of the air, I charge for a particular service, let's say a website, right? And um, you say a particular price, whatever it is, and that's typically going to be a guesstimate or looking at what else is happening in the marketplace and trying to be somewhere in the marketplace. So somebody goes, okay, that seems fair, and they take a leap of faith. The problem with that in a market where capital is drying up, sentiment is waning, and the cost of doing business is increasing, is that that approach, which I call commodity-based business, doesn't survive. No. And it, it's the reason why we're seeing insolvencies and liquidations of small businesses go through the absolute roof. And unfortunately, it was businesses that were what the government called zombie businesses in COVID. Yep. That, to be fair, COVID and all the incentives were probably a, a gift for many of these businesses. And it kept them alive for far longer than, quite frankly, they probably should have. Um and many of those have gone by the wayside. And if they haven't done so already, they're on the cusp. So when we think about positioning, we need to understand, well, what are the alternatives to commodity-based positioning? Well, there's either utility. How do we price or position our service based on the intrinsic value that service represents? Or on the other side, luxury, that we may have intrinsic value, but above and beyond that intrinsic value, how do we ensure people have a sense of belonging or connection to something much deeper than the pure intrinsic value itself. An example of that is that I'm up in far north Queensland. I live on a, a 70-acre farm that is an animal sanctuary. Getting tradies out to come and do work is an absolute nightmare, Kathy, right? I can imagine. Now, <laughs> I need them to come out for certain intrinsic things for their utility, but I am happy to pay a premium for the luxury of a great tradie who will turn up on time, who will communicate well, do what they say. Can you see the difference? Is that an oxymoron for some tradies? I mean, trying to get yep. them to do all three. If you get two, generally, you're lucky. And that's not a, a whole distance away from a main area and up into the rainforest where Jackson is. So for our American listeners, Far North Queensland is the top of Queensland, which is one of the, the top states um, in our beautiful world that we have here in Down Under Australia. Exactly, yes. So this is a great example, right? And this is the problem here, Cathy, that so many industries, tradies are no exception. They've basically sat fat and happy, for lack of a better term. Um, and they've allowed themselves to become a commodity because they've had the control, but the tides are going to shift. And we're seeing many businesses have to get their act together. And it's not hard to be a superstar in your market just by doing these very basic and what we think is just common sense things, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, just <laughs> basically doing what you say you're going to do. In that example, turn up on time, deliver what you've promised, and communicate. Exactly. And it's funny that we up. call that a luxury, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. And I think that's where we've got to in, in this market. Now, the second component to that is that if you get your positioning right, then it comes to pricing and packaging. And we can be really creative around this. Um, understanding that asymmetrical relationship whereby if your positioning is on par, on par and you can articulate that position and the value, then price is just a consequence of getting the outcome. It's the exact same reason. Like I've spent a lot of time studying um, luxury brands. Uh, for example, Bernard Arnault, who's the, the managing director and founder of LVMH. He is probably the smartest person when it comes to branding and positioning through making people go crazy for these luxury items and that they go on waiting lists for months, in some cases years, and then pay tens of thousands of dollars for a watch or a handbag or whatever it might be. Is that a daylight robbery and price gouging? Some would argue that. Um, or is that just a really great business model? Because I'm sure none of those people are disgruntled with their purchase. Like, Kathy, have you ever met somebody who's bought, say, a, a, a Louis bag or a, a Hermes bag? Um, they're, 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 they're infatuated with it. They're raving fans, right? Absolutely. Not that I've met that many of those kind of people, but certainly the ones I've heard about have yes, yeah. definitely enjoyed their purchase. <laughs> I'm not one of those people either. I typically buy my stuff from thrift shops. So uh, I'm a. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so, good for the environment too. And that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> exactly. But the idea behind this is that when we understand our value and we understand what it's worth to our clients and customers, we can package our pricing and our various offerings in a way that it makes it an absolute no brainer. And then the third part of this profit pyramid, Kathy, is PL intelligence. It's knowing your numbers and the amount of businesses that were once very profitable and through changes in the market, through changes in their business, through growing and scaling, have seen their profits erode and they basically haven't done anything about it is astronomical. It's mind-blowing. And it's not because of not doing it. It's just from a lack of not knowing. And when they can understand those numbers and they can remove the, the fear, then it's like a light switch. And that informs the positioning, that informs the pricing and the packaging, and that drives the profit. Pretty simple, right? Yeah, absolutely. And especially with your profit and loss, because you might be seeing something that's selling a lot of, but if you're not actually making a profit on that, unless it's a loss leader and bringing in other stuff, then it's a case of, is that worth it? Uh, if you're only making 1% or 2%, which is a low profit in your area, is that worth it? And quite often you find that people will be spending all their time on a product or a service that is actually draining all their resources. And unfortunately, the statistics of how long businesses last is horrifying. 4% last more than 10 years. And that doesn't include all the prop-ups that we've had in the last 10 years. So I would imagine that the figures will get worse. Exactly. And it's it's really challenging, right? And we see this all the time, that 
unfortunately, so many businesses don't know how to back the winning horse because they don't even know which which horse is winning the race in their business. And we see this in so many different businesses, whether it be trades or whether it be other service businesses, even product businesses. It's very much that old kind of Pareto principle that there's potentially 80% of the, of the revenue that's only producing 20% of the profit. Well, what if we flip that dynamic around? Um, and it's when they understand those numbers, it makes it a whole, a whole lot easier to, to navigate the times, particularly uh, in the times that we're in right now. Yes, absolutely. And going through what's making you the money, where it's making you the money, what else impacts around that? Because sometimes you might have, like I mentioned, a loss leader where you do have a product that's not making money. But if you got rid of that, then that would actually really impact your um, bottom line because it, it might be the, the, the first taste it before you buy and then it becomes a, a much bigger product after it. So just looking at that whole ecosystem. Correct. And I think that comes down to understanding the lifetime value of a customer as well, right? Um, because look, I've, I've spoken to a lot of businesses over the years who've had a loss leader strategy because it works. It works for some businesses really, really well. Um, however, there's thinking that it works and knowing that it works. Yes, big difference. And it's, it's very interesting when we actually crunch the numbers on it and understand the profitability on a per client basis. And there's one exercise I get a lot of my clients to do um, that they absolutely hate. Um, but it's often the things that we hate doing that we're putting off for ages that actually deliver the most value. And what we actually do is we take a series of clients and we do a cash conversion cycle analysis. So we're like, okay, the client come into the business here. This is what you cost to acquire that customer. And here are all of the inflows and outflows throughout that t- entire life, uh, life cycle of that customer. And the interesting thing is that there are so many clients that aren't profitable and it's because other clients are propping them up. And the simplest thing that we've done in the vast majority of those cases is just put up prices. Um, Personally, I think loss leading can be a dangerous move. Um, And for the most of these clients, Having a small increase in price, in some cases, we found the sweet spot is between 8 and 12% price increases mm-hmm. and minimizes the likelihood of client churn. And what it does is it creates an asymmetrical relationship between profit and and drop in, in top-line revenue. Um, and that actually gets them producing tens of thousands, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of extra cash flow in their business by a small, simple change. Yeah, and However, it's... A- it's amazing how we expect that to happen in our utilities. We expect it to happen when we go to the grocery shop. We expect it to happen in a lot of other areas, but we don't then flip it ourselves and give it to our customers and clients. So our prices are going up. So shouldn't that mean that we should be charging more as well? Correct. And this is my philosophy. I think so many founders and business owners are their own worst enemy when it comes to price. Yes. Because let's face it, right? We got into business because we love what we do. We want to help people. We don't want to be perceived as being an additional contributor to the cost of living crisis. And therefore, we think about ourselves last. However, in reality, like you are doing yourself and your clients a disservice because when you are not profitable, you can't hire the best people. You can't deliver the best experience. And there may be an opportunity that your business may not be around to serve those people. Indeed. What, what injustice to your clients is that? Yes. You actually do, you're, you're doing your clients a favor by charging what you are worth, assuming that you can deliver value above and beyond what you're charging, which I'm very, very confident that you can. Um, 
and you run a sustainable and scalable business. Otherwise, this just becomes a universal tax and it comes out of your pocket. Indeed. And we're seeing that a lot in the building industry where the builders have gone in with not enough margin. The prices of their suppliers have gone up. Maybe their labour's gone up as well. And now they're literally imploding because they cannot sustain those costs. Whereas potentially if they had have gone in a little bit more um, on their, their pricing structures, they may have been able to ride that out. Yes, it's really interesting. We work with a lot of trade and construction businesses. And let's assume they've got about a 60% gross profit. They can increase their price by 10% and they can lose 13% of their clients and still make the same amount of money. Wow, that's an interesting stat, isn't it? It is. And it just when we talk to them like that and they're like, because the biggest issue they've got is people saying no or losing tenders or, or losing proposals or whatnot. And what's interesting is that whenever we've done, say, a 10% price increase for a trade business, really for any business, their client churn or drop-in conversion rate has typically been less than 5%. Okay. So they end up with a net benefit. They still end up growing their client base. Sure, there might be not be the same volume of people that are, are saying yes or staying on board, um, but with the price increase and the, the the people who are proceeding, they end up better off. Yep. Um, so once again, to understand the numbers and not just guesstimating. Yes, and I think that's where it really boils down to is know the specifics for your business. So if something's working really well in your business, amplify it. If it's not, look at is that something that you need to get rid of, you need to change, or is it something you shouldn't be doing at all? Yes, exactly. And I think that's the next part of this, Cathy, is that most businesses lack a cash flow operating system. And what we see is for the businesses who have gone insolvent, and unfortunately, I've had a number of people try and reach out to me who their businesses have been too far gone, um, and there wasn't really much that we could do to assist them. And it was because they did not have enough of a finger on the pulse to know that it was too late. If they yeah. would have come to us even a month prior, a couple of months prior, there were things that we could have done to steer them back on track and avoid that insolvency event. And the unfortunate thing about insolvency is once you're there, if you don't take the appropriate steps, there are substantial risks and liabilities that are associated with that. And the simplest solution there, because let's face it, tax and accounting is very complicated. The common complaint I get is, Jackson, I looked at my financial statements my accountant gave me, and it says I made all of this profit, but where's the bloody money? Yes. <laughs> and it is because accounting, generally accepted accounting principles, and cash flow are two very different things. Absolutely. So what we help these clients do, particularly in this time of future proof, is we help them implement a cash flow operating system, which uses what we call bank balance accounting. In short, we set up a series of different bank accounts that have for different purposes, a cost of sales account, operating expenses, owner's pay, tax, profit. And we segment the cash flow in the business across those various buckets, meaning that they can pull out this beautiful thing at any minute of the day. And if you're listening to the recording, now I just pulled up my iPhone. And they can look at their online banking and to the cent, they can work at exactly how they are doing and whether they've got enough money set aside for the specific purposes of their business. Yep. And it drastically changes things. Now, on average, we find that when our clients implement this, they improve their profit by about 15%. Yes. It helps with that shiny objects. If you haven't got the money in that particular account, then you can't have it. Can't spend it. Exactly. So that, that works incredibly well. And look, it's a pain in the neck to set up. Um, 
typically takes our clients like six to eight weeks to get it fully dialed in and working, but then it's it's a game changer. Um, and it just provides that confidence and clarity that so many business owners are lacking, particularly in this market. Yeah. And I think now that we don't actually see the money per se, it's not like in the old days where we got a, a packet, literally an envelope with the money, and then we doled it out. Now we don't see it. So it is so, so much easier for a lot of people just to flick it on the cart, flick it on the cart, flick it on the cart before you know you've made all those little purchases that add up to a lot. So by doing it that way, you're almost bringing back that visibility of the money. So it's not in your hand, but at least you can now see it again. Exactly. And it's interesting. As a kid, I used to see my mum do this with the envelopes. Yep. Um, she'd get her pay and then she'd segment it all out into various envelopes. And it was just she, she needed organisation. She needed that structure and she created mm-hmm. it. And this is exactly the same thing just made for the modern age. So <laughs> it, it uses the exact same principles and it works marvellously. Yes, perfect, because you've got those containers of how much money you've got in what. So whether it is you, you're putting it away for your tax, whether it be GST, whether it be pay-as-you-go or whatever variety of tax you have in your country, and then you have also looking at things like your profit. So do you have that extra money to, to spend on going to a conference or whatever, or does that come out of your Everyday account is that part of your operating expenses, depending on how you're running your business. So you've got those containers where you can see how much money you've got for what purposes. Bang on, exactly. And I guess the last part here, Kathy, in terms of future-proofing your business, in tough times, we need a beacon. We need a North Star. And the biggest challenge with small business owners, and funnily enough, I've been producing a lot of content around this lately because in times like this, I often get a lot of phone calls of business owners who want to throw in the towel. And these are people who actually have good businesses. They're just fed up. And I think it comes down to the fact that as a small business owner, our effort and our rewards aren't necessarily always correlated. It's not like I'm going to do this and then I'm going to get this. It just doesn't happen that way, right? <laughs> and it's disheartening, right? Um, and it takes its toll over time. So I feel as a business owner, the easiest way for you to create that North Star, that beacon of light, is to build your business towards what I refer to as a liquidity event, um, which for many small business owners is a future sale. Now, when I speak to most small business owners, I'm like, I'm never going to sell. And I love this business. It's a lifestyle business. But the interesting thing is most people don't want to sell until one day they do. Yes. <laughs> and typically the business isn't ready for sale. No, and then they've got to add three years onto that, getting it ready for sale. And what did exactly. they say? That the best thing to do is to build it up to sell and then not have to because now you're running it really well that you, you don't have to be fed up with it anymore. Exactly. And the amount of times I've seen that happen is it's it's miraculous, honestly, um, because, yeah, the best business is the one that you don't want to sell. So what we want to do is we want to create a valuation methodology. Um, we've got a simple calculator, so if you want a copy, we can share some resources. It's quite simple, and it's about putting a dollar value on your business, which is typically a multiple of profitability. And for most industries, it's between one times and three times profit. If your business is awesome, potentially five times, in some cases more. Um, but let's say one to three. So let's say your profit is two hundred grand. It means your business is probably worth about six hundred. Now let's say that a comfortable retirement need, means that you need two million then there's some pretty serious work we've got to do to get that business where it needs to go. That's a very large gap. 
It's a big gap. But the great thing about business is that we can bridge that gap very quickly, assuming we've got a plan. Because as it was famously said, the difference between a dream and a goal is a plan. So what we then do is we can then reverse engineer this, use that as the North Star, and then work out what are the levers you've got to pull in your business using the, the profit pyramid, using the cash flow operating system, and a whole heap of other tools in order to start systematically working our way towards that goal. And the great thing about this is that the business valuation is always objective. So we can actually see, okay, I've done this work. This is the impact to my profit. And then in turn, this is the magnification of my potential business's value. And this is what I find helps so many business owners navigate these times. Um, because I would always prefer to have a business that is ready for sale that I don't want to sell than the other way around. Absolutely, absolutely. And then when life does throw you those curveballs and you need to make those decisions quickly, you can because it's there. But yes, how many times do we hear of people wanting to sell their business and finding that really it's only just a job? It's not an actual business per se. It's very interesting. We had a, a really successful business broker come and present to our private clients recently and he said, for the businesses that are presented to him, over 50% of them are just a change in circumstances that were outside of the owner's control. So it's a 50-50 it's a, it's a chance, potentially even more, of your circumstances changing, God forbid, sickness or personal circumstances or uh, moving in location or whatever it might be um, that forces you to sell your business. And imagine walking away from all of that hard work with nothing. Yes. Yeah. So, going and finding out that it's not a business at all. It's all based on the founder and there, there is basically nothing more than a glorified job. Very badly exactly. paid glorified job in a lot of cases. Exactly right. And look, we've had some clients who don't have a saleable business and we acknowledge that. And we've, it's some, some businesses are very hard to build intrinsic value into. But acknowledging that early and then making sure we have a mechanism for taking that business profit and then turning that into personal wealth is critically important because I think the worst thing yet is thinking you've got a valuable business and thinking that's what's going to help you get to financial freedom when you ultimately want to pull up stumps and then finding out the hard way that it's not um, yeah. when you could have been building wealth outside of that business the whole way along. Um, once again, this is all about having the right plan, having the right systems, and then the right support to take action. Fantastic. So there's some really good tips for future-proofing. So can you just recap on our three main tips we should be doing. Yes, so let's recap. So understand the profit pyramid. This is a great opportunity for you to start revisiting your positioning in the marketplace. I'm a believer that you should always be working towards being the most expensive and premium player in your market as opposed to uh, being in the middle market um, or being the cheapest, which is often a race to the bottom. Absolutely. Renovate your pricing and your packaging and understand that that price should be a consequence of your clients getting that value. Um, so if you want to put up your price, how do you better articulate and illustrate that value? And that should all come from a position of knowing your numbers. So that's our pricing, our profit pyramid. Then we've got our cash flow operating system. Let's use the envelopes principle that, that mum or uh, grandma used to use. Let's implement that into our business. And it sounds silly. It sounds arbitrary. But by doing it, it uses human behavior in order to influence the way that you manage your money and get confidence around your cash flow. And then thirdly, make sure that we start working towards that North Star, which is the exit event. How do we build a valuable and saleable business that is ready for sale that we ultimately don't want to sell? Um, because that is the business that is the most valuable. 
And that's how you future-proof. Absolutely. And that would be the idea, wouldn't it? Having a really well-running business that you can step away from that you yourself did and um, took some time off and went around Australia and it all runs without you. Wouldn't that be an ideal thing in a lot of people's minds? So fantastic tips on how to future-proof your business. Love it. So if people would like the calculator in particular that you talked about, how do they find you? Yes, I've got a stack of resources for you guys. Uh, I've got two international best-selling books, one on personal wealth, one on scaling a seven-figure lifestyle business. I've got a whole heap of financial calculators and also a 40-point financial performance scorecard. Uh, So if you want to get all of that stuff for free, uh, jump to wealthhealthcheck.com.au. That's wealthhealthcheck.com.au. Fill in the scorecard, grab all of the resources, and of course, um, we work with six- and seven-figure service businesses to make more profit and build more wealth. So if you want to have a chat about how we can help you in a higher capacity, all the details will be on that link as well. Fantastic. And we'll put those in the show notes. Now, it's my turn to ask you a few questions. Are you game, Jackson? For sure. Always game. Okay. What is the best advice given to you by a mentor? Best advice given to me by a mentor was fail fast and fail forward like that what is the biggest help you have received since starting your business i've always been surrounded by mentors um and i've always paid a pretty penny for expert advice to name a few uh dale beaumont taki moore um i've had my accountant rakesh nan um danny chia uh, my business partner sam i always try and surround myself with smart people who elevate me to my fullest potential. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm blessed to be surrounded by amazing mentors, uh, business partners, and, uh, and, and coaches uh, who helped me have helped me to create now an eight-figure business. Fantastic. What is the one thing that you have to do every day, your non-negotiable? My non-negotiable is to uh, spend time walking around my animal sanctuary and enjoying uh, the amazing environment that I've been able to to create for myself. It's been a lifelong dream to create an animal sanctuary and we've been able to make it happen and uh, we've now rescued over 80 animals and uh, we get to enjoy uh, their uh, their their uh, their antics every day. So uh, <laughs> that's a non-negotiable for me. Fabulous. What is your favourite business book and why? My favourite business book? It's not necessarily directly a business book. However, I think the principles very much apply to business. Business is a game of mindset. And I think too many people dabble in tactics and strategies before they actually conquer the inner game. So I'm going to say Marcus Aurelius Meditations. Nice. Um, And what is the one thing that you wish you had known when you started out? Oh, wow. There's so many things. I think when I first started out, I've been doing this 15 years. I started when I was 19 and I had a lot of self-limiting beliefs. As a young 19-year-old kid, I hadn't really proved myself yet. Um, I think if I, I would have known what I was capable of today, uh, I would have achieved a whole lot more. And it was the tentative steps that I took in the early days that ultimately limited my success. But in hindsight, it wouldn't. it's got me to where I am now. So I'm pretty grateful. Indeed. They say build your capacity. And I think that's a a great one, not necessarily knowing how or why. Well, generally often why, but not how. And, um, yeah, build your capacity. So I really like that. Resonate with that. So is there anything that we haven't mentioned that we should have? No, I think take fierce action, right? 
this time requires courage. And there are going to be situations that you may need to navigate and tough decisions that you need to make. And you need to make them with conviction. Um, stick to your guns, follow your gut, enjoy the journey. Fantastic. And that's our tagline. We always tell our SBT audience to enjoy their journey. So I couldn't have paid you more for that one, Jackson. <laughs> it's the name of my first book. So we're a match made in heaven. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. And we will drop your links in the show notes for everybody. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. So SBT audience, make sure you do enjoy your journey. Don't forget to subscribe to Small Business Talk podcast and head on over to smallbusinesstalk.com.au forward slash downloads for all the show notes and links to this episode. Remember, to be great, you must start. Pick one tip from today's episode, take action and implement it. Let's meet again next week at the same time and place. Until then, take action. And SBT community, enjoy your journey.